this summer we've been working through the different themes that we find in Proverbs. So today we're talking about anger. Uh, anger is one of those things where we've all felt it, and if you haven't felt it yet today, go grab your kids, put them in the car, drive anywhere, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Over the past couple of years, I've had the privilege of being a waitress. I use privilege because as I tell you these stories, remember that I do like my job there. I work somewhere that you may have heard of being in the Beaumont community, Boston Pizza. I know none of you have really ever been there because it's, you know, pretty slow, but just kidding, it's like the only restaurant we have. Uh, but as I began to think about anger and how it affects us, I thought I would share some of the most interesting things that people have been angry about at work. So not all of these have happened to me personally, but all of these has happened within the Beaumont Boston Pizza. If I read these, and one of them was you, at the end of the uh, sermon, I'm going to be praying for forgiveness, and you guys can jump in on that. So my first one that I'll give you, um, it's, I'm going to start off easy. Someone told me, this bowl you baked my pasta in is too hot. They were angry. And I was like, okay, this sort of makes sense. You're right, your bowl is hot. As you just said yourself, your food was cooked in it, but I'll give you credit that even though it is on a separate plate covered by napkins, it is a hotter plate. I'll give you that one. Uh, this other one was quite interesting. You didn't bring me a fork and knife for my nachos. If you can prove to me you can cut your nachos, I'll bring them. I would really like to see that. And if, like, maybe if it's possible, then you should send your nachos back, because they've got to be pretty soggy for you to be able to cut them. Well, this is a personal favorite. Now we're getting to the good ones. My Pepsi was made wrong. Now, ma'am, I'm not saying that it's my fault, but I think you should contact Pepsi. Comes out of a machine that they've given us. So here's a little restaurant insider for you. When you say your Pepsi was made wrong, the only option we have is to go to the back and pour you a new one. That's it. That's all we can do. We can't fix it. So then when we bring it out to you and you go, oh, this is much better. Jesus sees you. He knows your lies because it's the same. So now we're going to get to the absolute best ones that I've heard. Because uh, you may have been hearing these last few and been like, well, that's sort of valid. Here we get to the ones that I just, I'm going to prove you wrong on that theory. These lime slices just aren't limey enough. To this day, I'm not really sure what to do about that. Like, I'll bring you a lemon? I just, I don't know how to fix that problem. But now my absolute most favorite that I've ever heard, my soup is too dry. I'm just going to let that sink in. My soup is too dry. Now, this is a liquid that we've given you. And I, I, I think the only thing at that point you can do is you just take off your apron and you just go, all right, <laughs> I'm going home. This is it. I can't do it anymore. So there are tons of moments where we get angry in a day. Maybe you're one of the people that gets mad at restaurants. Slow traffic gets me when I can't get the computer program to open or work. Stubbing my toe. All of these are rather minor moments of anger, but there are also lots of moments in life where we feel indescribable anger as well. Uh, when someone cheats on us, when someone harms one of our loved ones, when we're left in a situation with no justice to be found. Anger surrounds us constantly in life. It's one of the most common emotions that people feel. Because anger is an emotion, it in itself is neither good or evil. However, its moral quality is determined by the cause and the actions that follow it. So when looking at it from a psychological standpoint, anger is considered to be a secondary emotion. 
Not secondary in the sense that it isn't as valid or as important as other emotions, but secondary because anger is often the result of another emotion. So a primary feeling is what is felt immediately before we feel anger. So we almost always feel something else before we get angry. We might first feel afraid, attacked, offended, disrespected, forced, trapped, pressured, any of these. If any of these feelings are intense enough, we think of that emotion as anger. An example of this would be when a child becomes hurt from doing something dangerous, like running into the street when there's a car coming. So the most common reaction to that is the parent races out, grabs the child, pulls them away from the dangerous situation, and usually is a little bit angry. So in that moment, the parent isn't angry at their child. The parent is afraid. They're afraid that their child is going to get hurt. I can still remember the tone my mom would use when she was like that scared angry. It's like ingrained in my head. She wasn't mad that I got hurt from what I was doing. She was scared in that situation, and that was how that feeling came out. So another example that happened earlier this summer of anger would be when the Pittsburgh Penguins traded Phil Kessel to Arizona. So I, in that moment, was angry. But I'd like to, you know, I took some time after writing this and thought, why was I angry? Well, it's because I was pretty hurt that they would trade such a consistent playoff player. Almost point of game, just saying. Uh, and I felt like pretty disrespected that no one asked my opinion <laughs> on how I would feel about that. So we also like, can look at anger as an iceberg. So the ice that remains outside of the water is what anger is, or the visible emotion of anger. However, majority of the ice remains below the surface, and that's often the primary feeling that we have that, influ that influences that anger. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not up here today to tell you that anger isn't real. Anger is extremely real. That's undeniable. It's a strong emotion that each and every person will feel at some point. This isn't to demonize anger and say it's inappropriate, destructive, or negative, because anger is an appropriate, natural, and healthy response to things like frustration, injury, insult, and anything that threatens our survival or psychological integrity. Feeling fear and sadness is quite uncomfortable for most people. It makes you feel vulnerable and not in control. So because of this, we tend to avoid these feelings in any way we can, and that usually happens by a subconsciously switching into anger. Feeling fear and sadness just gets you, so then you just want to get rid of it, and that feeling of anger gives you a little bit of control back. So essentially, anger can be a means of creating a sense of control and power in the face of vulnerability and uncertainty. It can be quite a reckless emotion. It clouds our judgment and keeps us from seeing things clearly. The sense of control we receive is the reason why our body automatically switches into it. When we're angry and can't change our situation, anger gives us a little bit of that power back. So knowing that anger is not a primary emotion, it helps to make sense of what's being said about it in Proverbs. So there's 142 passages that mention anger within the Bible, which gives a pretty good indication that this is something that we should know about. There are a number of verses that reference anger in Proverbs alone, and those are going to be on the screen. I'm just going to quickly read through a few before getting into them deeper. So Proverbs 14, 16 to 17 says, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Proverbs 15, 18, A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 19:22 or 29:22, sorry. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. 
The Bible is clear that the wise don't choose anger to lead them, and that righteous anger has a righteous cause. So as Harvey spoke about last Sunday, we all have what it takes to be wise in Jesus. Well, in the same sense, we have Jesus, we can handle the anger properly as well. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I get confused by how simple it is. There are some really, like, general things that I find easy to follow, such as don't murder. I've never looked at that and been like, how am I supposed to not do that? It's been pretty straightforward. However, I look at be slow to anger, and I often think, as if I'm not already trying to? I don't want to feel this. It just is our natural cause. So I love that the Bible is straightforward and simple, but at times that simplicity makes me feel ridiculous that I can't figure it out myself. But you're not alone. That's why we have a whole book of instructions on how to deal with these things. So thankfully, Jesus himself was not immune to dealing with anger as he walked the earth. He was constantly faced with the anger of the Pharisees, and at times, angers towards the Pharisees. The anger of the Pharisees was unrighteous anger, while the anger of Jesus was righteous. So the Pharisees were the leaders of the synagogues. Some were priests, but even though they were a smaller group, they held a great deal of power because they were supported and trusted among the people. The biggest problem with the Pharisees were that they were considered that their own traditions were equal to biblical teaching. Jesus said himself in Mark 7, 7, they worship me in vain, their teaching are merely human rules. When Jesus began to enter into the cities to teach, the Pharisees quickly noticed. This wasn't just a man telling people things that were contradictory to what they were teaching. He was doing miracles, and he was proving that he wasn't all talk. He had results to what he was saying. Naturally, this made the Pharisees furious, and I kind of get it. I hate being told I'm wrong. I mean, if you ask my friends, they might tell you that the typical case is that I'm just wrong. But there have been times where they just didn't believe me. Just putting that out there. Being proven wrong is embarrassing, and it's really hard on the pride. So this was the Pharisees' problem. Here they are, respected leaders, being proven wrong by a man claiming to be God himself. So Jesus was gaining a following as he did. And people were coming from everywhere just to hear him speak and see his amazing miracles. He was making blind men see and lame walk. The more Jesus taught, the more people were seeing that the Pharisees were claiming the wrong things, and the more that anger grew inside them. Proverbs 29:22 says, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Well, the Pharisees took their anger towards Jesus and plotted to kill him. Even after they had condemned him and were part of that, they weren't done. As he hung on the cross, they mocked and insulted him. To say that Jesus' death was based on anger alone would be wrong. It was something that was prophesied in the Old Testament and that needed to happen in order for sin to be broken and its hold on the world. Even so, anger was intertwined within this entire story. Had the Pharisees been a little slower to anger and had listened to Jesus, they may have been able to experience the healing that Jesus was offering. But their embarrassment of being exposed as wrong and losing control left them to become blinded by anger. In turn, their anger left them insulting an innocent man hanging on a cross that they sentenced him to. Because of this anger and the actions resulting from it, it was proven to be unrighteous anger. The Pharisees weren't angry from love and compassion. They were angry for their own sake and their own selfish desires. This unrighteous anger was caused through selfish intentions, and the actions resulting from it were evil and destructive. So looking at Jesus in these same situations, he represents the other side of anger. He holds righteous anger. So the Bible talks of righteous anger of God often, and for the longest time, I couldn't really understand what the difference was. Usually when I'm angry, I like to think that I'm pretty righteous in my cause and that I'm right for feeling that way. Matthew 21 has the story of Jesus getting angry in the temple. Matthew 21, 12 to 13 says, Jesus entered into the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus was fired up. He wasn't just frustrated enough to go to his friends and, you know, gossip about how mad he was about what was going on. He didn't hit up the Facebook comment section on the temples and review them badly, saying that this was unacceptable. He went in there, started throwing tables, and started yelling correction. Now, I've spent the last couple minutes here telling you how you need to be slow to anger and have self-control, and now I'm telling you that Jesus ran into a place and started flipping tables. Seems a little confusing. An outburst of anger like that doesn't seem like it could be right, especially when we're taught as Christians to turn the other cheek. But as we've been talking about, anger can be righteous when the cause of the anger and the actions that follow are righteous themselves. Jesus was angry that the temple was being defiled and used wrongly, so his actions that followed weren't for malicious intent or self-gain, but were to restore the proper order of the temple. So how does this help us? Well, there have been many times where in my anger I feel I'm justified in how I react, but shortly after I move past it and I look back, I can see that I wasn't really fruitful in my efforts. That is because we each have a sinful nature that inherently makes our causes and our actions sinful. It is possible for a man's anger to be righteous, and there are things that the righteous should be angry about as a reflection of godliness, such as things that are dishonoring God and destructive forces on man. However, man's anger does not often reflect godliness, so it usually is unrighteous. Even when man's anger is righteous, there must be great caution, for as James 1, 19-20 warns, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Even godly men must be very careful that their anger isn't for the wrong reason or that they allow it to control them. This is why Ephesians 4, 26-27 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. This is why Proverbs gives so many encouragements to be slow to anger and warnings about being quick to be angry. Proverbs 14, 29, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts fully. Proverbs 15, 18, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Proverbs 19, 11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who captures the city. The slow to anger show great discretion, great wisdom, and are better than the mighty being able to calm a dispute. Those who are quick-tempered exalt folly and often stir up trouble. There are so many places where the Bible reminds us to check the source of our anger and to watch that even in our anger, our actions are honoring to him. Looking back to the story of Jesus flipping tables in the temple, we often remember this story clearly as a time that Jesus did something that seemed so out of character for him. Jesus was calm and level-headed. He didn't lash out in anger ever. So this story seems a little bit weird. And how, how does this make sense when we are told that we should reserve ourselves and be calm? Well, this story is powerful because it is an example of how we should reserve this type of action for rare occurrences of extreme justice and not make it part of our regular lives. It should be so exceptional that when we display this kind of righteous anger, people take notice. For the moments we feel angry for things that are not righteous, we should allow God to help us work through the primary emotion that's caused us to feel this way. So let's get practical. Hearing that anger is a secondary emotion and that there is righteous anger and unrighteous anger is great. 
and it makes us think a little deeper, but now we need to figure out what role we're gonna let this play in our lives. So first things first, let's cool it on the Facebook fighting. I see Beaumont talks. I see it all the time. Christians who are angry and use social media to spew tactics Christian truths leave those outside of the church confused as to who Jesus is. And this isn't exclusive to social media anymore. Confrontation has stopped being uncomfortable and has started being entertaining in our culture. Getting an angry reaction has stopped being a rare occurrence for rare situations and started being a standard part of our daily dialogue. Loving your online neighbor and enemies stops looking so loving. This isn't righteous anger. Flipping tables and yelling our truth has just become the norm. We stop being known for our love and we start being known for our anger in these moments. So going back to the story of Jesus flipping tables, he wasn't only angry for the sake of the temple, but he was actually angry in defense of those who were being outcasted. Culturally, the temple was set up so the inner part of the temple was for the Jews to worship, and the outside courts of the temple were where the Gentiles could go to worship. Where these market tables were set up was where the Gentiles were able to worship. Well, this meant that the Gentiles no longer were able to come into there and do their worship. So Jesus wasn't known for anger here, because his anger was so righteous that he would fight for those who had no ability to fight for themselves. So anger is not how we're instructed to live. Yes, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple does show that we are allowed to be angry, but the life of Jesus teaches us that anger is the exception because peace is the standard. We let ourselves become overwhelmed with feelings of being attacked for our beliefs and offended by people that we lash out with unrighteous anger without even realizing that it's unrighteous. It is our job, not as only Bible-believing people, but just as people in general, to ensure that we deal with the root of our anger rather than just living within it. This is the beauty of this book I have up here with me called The Bible. It gives practical ways to deal with the causes of our anger and provides us checks and balances all throughout. So I want to give us three things that we can do to heart check with our anger. If you're sitting here thinking three is way too many, just try one and see what happens. So number one is check your cause. So find what's bringing up that anger you're feeling. As you've heard, anger is an iceberg, so we have to find what's under the water and what's making us feel that way. The nice thing is, is we don't have to do it alone. The Bible has helped for every emotion we can possibly feel. Fear is spoken about in 32 passages. Anxiety is mentioned 17 times. Offended, 17 as well. Sorrow, 9. And self-control, 12 times. And the list goes on. But we aren't just told to figure it out on our own. God gave us this entire book to work through our emotional baggage. So rather than looking at just the causes of anger, let's look at the things that can maybe soothe it when we have it. Peace is said 53 times in passages. Joy, 36 times and gentleness 19 times. So all of these things are clearly important that they're being mentioned so often. I encourage you, if you haven't looked at the Bible before, try it. Most people have phones now, so you can download the Bible app in two minutes and have a comfort you've never known in seconds. Another thing that causes our anger is sometimes our emotions are just too big for us to handle alone. So I'd like to make this a claim right here. The pastoral staff here at Eaglemont are always more than happy to meet with you, and we'd love to walk alongside you in anything. And if that is something that you are interested in, contact us. We also have incredible options that we are able to tell you about for getting counseling. I know personally, going to see a counselor was huge and helped me far more than I could have imagined. We are never alone in any of this, and God is always there, and we want to be as well. 
Number two, watch your actions. So the reality is, things are always going to make us angry, no matter what. People leaving cupboards open after they've taken something out will never not make me angry. I just don't get it. Just close it. Like you were just there. However, watching my response is something I could do better with. Even when our anger is unrighteous, we can keep it from becoming sinful by watching what our actions are. So stand before the Lord as your gracious judge and ask yourself, what am I angry about? Why am I angry? What's an honest and gracious way I can deal with this? So then seek to resolve the conflict that angers you as soon as you can and do so in love. And when we mess up, take the action to resolve that conflict and forgive. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there is a member that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. We aren't going to get it right every time. That's just reality. But when we remember that we control our actions, we can keep our anger a little bit more in check. So number three, choose your hill. Out of all the things in our lives that will make us angry, choose your hill to die on. The reality is, is that not many of us are willing to die on a hill that's unrighteous. Sometimes we mess up and we choose the wrong hill. That happens. But if we carefully consider what is worth fighting for and what isn't, we'd probably find that we hit righteous anger a little more often. Things like child slavery, sex trafficking, murder, and deep injustices are hills that we are called to die on. We are called to watch the orphan and to take care of the widows. We need to look at what the win would be. Is the win self-centered or is the win self-serving? Or is it Christ-centered? So the Bible says that many times we are able to take care of the widow and the orphan, so we are to take up righteous anger on these things that God's angry for. However, the milk being put back in the fridge with barely any left probably isn't something most of us would consider being worth dying for in the long run. Not all of us, some of us would, but I would say maybe check that one. Matthew 5, to 45 says, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So really, we don't have to worry about fighting our battles because we have an amazing God who will do it for us. So rather than deciding that every fight needs to be fought, let's see what ones are. God is the ultimate judge and promises us that he will bring justice to all. Our anger does not change his plan or goodness. So I just want to close with us taking a moment to think about some moments in our lives that we've been angry, even if it's just something small this week. Take a minute, think about the emotion that brought you there, and think about a way that you can help God work within you to change how you'd react to that this week. I want to pray for those things that we just are having a hard time getting over, and I want to pray that God heals what's underneath our anger. So I'm just going to give you a minute, bow your heads, take a minute to think about what's made you angry, and think about why. And then I want you to think about what actions you can take this week to ensure that your anger is a righteous anger rather than unrighteous. And then I'll close in prayer. God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are always there when we need you, Lord God. And we thank you that even when we mess up, your grace is abounding in all situations. God, I pray over the things in this world that we have righteous anger for. I pray for those who are treated poorly and those who just have the most incomprehensible injustices done to them, Lord God. I pray that you help our hearts stir up with that anger for those situations that we need to make a difference in for you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that as we go through life, 
the small things that lead us to unrighteous anger, God, that we are able to just deal with a little bit better. I pray that as we go through the week, the small things that happen, we're able to just let go and like just give them to you, Lord Jesus. You are an incredible God that we know we can always lean on. So I just pray that this week, in the moments that we feel anger, we just give it all to you and we let you decide our actions rather than us rely on our own understanding. We are grateful that we are always able to come to you with all of this, Lord Jesus. And I pray that this just really is something that we all attempt this week. And when we mess up, we thank you that you're still there. In your name, amen.